Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey, Jets fans. Welcome back. Or if you're new, welcome to another episode of the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I'm excited to tell you why this is kind of a unique episode. So a new friend of ours, Dane Craig, who goes by Hawk Economics on Twitter, inspired this new episode of ours. He's got a couple books on Amazon about how to manage the salary cap in the NHL. In this episode, um, one of our hosts, Brian, is joined by Atlanta fans Simon and Scott to talk about the best and worst contracts of the late Thrashers and early Jets. One of Dane's books has an entire section dedicated to this topic, so we're pumped about this collaboration because for the next couple days, you'll be able to get this book, um, uh, his book called The Definitive Guide to Salary Cap Mismanagement on Amazon for free. If you're hungry for even more, you can get the set of both books for a 50% discount as well. Uh, we'll be sure to post the links on our Twitter, but you have to jump on the deal fast because it won't last forever. Huge shout out, Dane, for this great idea for an episode and the great idea for a book. Awesome job. Uh, we also want to plug that this episode is once again sponsored by our good friends at Vertical Adventures who are open for business and cannot wait to help you reach new heights. Check them out on Instagram and Twitter, as well as visit their website to learn more about the one-on-one coaching they offer and how they're taking COVID seriously with their safety measures. Now, without further ado, enjoy Brian, Scott, and Simon's episode. Howdy, everybody. This is Brian from the Jet Centric Podcast. I'm excited to be joined by Simon and Scott McLean from Atlanta. Uh, today, we're going to do an episode kind of detailing the best and worst contracts of Thrashers slash Jets history. And uh, I'm excited to get going. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Doing, doing well. Happy to be here. Thanks All for right. Guess we'll get right into it. Um, I made a list of my top 10 best and worst contracts. I think these guys did as well. And we're going to try and uh, go over it. Just kind of have some fun here. So I guess I will throw it to Simon first. We're going to start with the worst contracts and then kind of save the best for last. So, uh, Simon, what did you have? I think we're going to go from 10 to one in okay. terms of least bad to most bad kind of thing to start. Uh, so what, what did you have for number 10? So for number 10, I'm kicking it off with a thrasher, uh, Garnet Exelby, um, who very well could be the worst defenseman to play any sort of significant time in the entire franchise's history. Um, he played, I think close to 300 games, um, he was an enforcer, you know, hit a lot of guys, but for a guy who played 18 minutes a night most years, uh, a pylon would be an understatement for uh, what he contributed. Fair enough. I, uh, I considered putting him on that list, but to tell you the truth, I've watched him play probably twice. I decided not to put him on because maybe, maybe some of his underlying metrics in those, I think it was the two seasons he had with Atlanta past 07. He didn't look that terrible, but again, not enough context yeah. for me to really say he was necessarily terrible, so I didn't include him. Scott, what did you have for number 10? Well, I meant to tell you, I'm, Simon's, I'm really kind of a little bit of a third leg here, so Simon's got a list, but I would say, commenting on the uh, X will be just one real quick. He was a fan favorite, too, so, you know, it, that, that said a lot down here. But of, of kind of what we were accepting as good oh, in Atlanta okay. was was not um, anyway. Oh, so that would that would probably be pretty close to mine also. That is fair enough. Um, I won't uh, I won't go to you for a list then. Sorry, I forgot to clarify beforehand. Yeah, that's uh, okay. 
whether you had a list or not, that is totally fine. Um, yeah. So I had, uh, where the heck is it? <laughs> um, I had Jim Slater, uh, three years, 1.6 million. Um, yeah, I just think at that point, there may have been some better guys to to sign from free agency. I, I get that he was a fan favorite, but the line with, uh, I guess, he always played with Thorburn and... And I Bolton. Don't think, I right. don't think... Sorry? Thorburn and Bolton. Was Bolton... Did Bolton come to Winnipeg? He did not. No, Bolton okay. didn't play in Winnipeg. No, I guess that was kind of a line right at the Yeah, that end. was the line down in Atlanta was uh, oh, okay. Slater, Thorburn, and Bolton. They were, uh, again, but, everybody loved them. I don't know how effective they were, but. Yeah, so we had Tanner Glass for that first year, and uh, we had all the fans chanting GST, GST. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, so that was, it was fun, but. Uh, I don't think they were too terribly effective as a line, to be quite frank. Um, I think Jimmy Slater can... was on the ice. He, he felt he he was on the ice flat more than he was upright. Sometimes it seemed like. So. <laughs> yeah. So that was my uh, number ten is Jim Slater. So number nine, I'll throw it back to you, Simon. All right. For number nine, I had uh, Drew Stafford. You know, coming in from the trade, it seemed like a good kind of thing. But for uh, what he contributed for the minutes he got, relatively underwhelming. It, you know, he had one pretty decent season, but then after that, he just dropped off so hard that, uh, you know, it, it was when by the time he was gone, it was, you know, a sigh of relief. So, yeah, for number nine, I had Dmitry Kulikov. Uh, in 2017, three years, uh, 4.33 million a year. I think at the time, the Jets were looking to kind of round out their uh, their bottom pair. And at the time, it might have seemed like a good idea. 4.3 million at the end of the day just isn't great for a bottom pairing D-man. So, yeah, I, I didn't like it had... I think it was negative 0.4 wins above replacement a over that stretch. That's something I might reference a few times here. Uh, for those who don't know, it's kind of a stat that estimates overall impact. Um, so obviously he wasn't all that great as a jet. He wasn't, I'd say he was kind of the opposite of a fan favorite, <laughs> Just, I think people didn't like some of his decision-making and his turnovers and didn't really contribute a whole heck of a lot offensively. Uh, so I'm going to go with Dmitry Kulikov, number nine. He was, but wasn't the team, wasn't there some excitement about signing him initially? There certainly was. Um, <laughs> he did produce pretty well in Florida. The yeah. few years before in Buffalo, he kind of tailed off. I think a lot of people may have attributed that to injuries, but at the end of the day, I just didn't really think he brought it as a jet. Yeah. And much to his credit this year, he's having a real bounce back year with New Jersey, but in his time with Winnipeg anyway, I don't think he was necessarily the best. I always wondered what kind of guy he was in the room. He, he seemed I like... I, I do think they liked him in the room there, to be yeah, quite honest. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. 
Yeah. Um, Simon, what do you have for number nine? So, or eight or nine? Or I asked you that already. Eight. What do you have All for right. eight? So uh, for eight, I actually had Kulikov, um, just one uh, spot higher. Uh, you know, I had him a little higher up thinking about kind of how he was paired with guys a lot of time and how the organization didn't necessarily leverage him to strength a whole lot, um, right. playing him above where he was most effective. But I, I thought about putting him higher, but they, he had moments where he was fairly effective kind of a odd couple pairing with him and Tyler Myers, um, you know, kind of had some nice flashes at points, but overall, yeah, maybe have been better to uh, play a young guy in uh, those minutes than uh, Kulikov night after night. Is he playing with Subban this year? I'm not sure to be I, honest. I with thought you. I've seen him on the ice with Subban several times, which uh, kind of, Amazing. Yeah, hang on. Let me let me take a look because that would be uh, something interesting to look at. Kulikov. That may have just been some line changes that I was. Uh... Uh, Kulikov has played. He's played about twenty nine percent of his ice time with Subban and thirty one percent with Damon Severson. Oh, okay. So, yeah, obviously Severson's playing Severson. really well this year too. But uh, right. Yeah, why wasn't he on the? Uh the potential trade list didn't some people think we might could get him uh, I, wasn't that a wish list kind of at one point possibly i i don't really remember to be quite honest with you yeah um anyway for number eight i had steve mason uh in 2017 two years 4.1 million obviously he lost his job to connor hellebuck i think in game what was it three or of the season and uh, yeah yeah, the rest is kind of history uh didn't really play that well when he got in and obviously had injury troubles and then he got shipped off with Joel Armia and that fourth round pick yeah just to kind of get rid of his contract there so that's my pick for number eight Steve. Was there was there a panic there with trading Mason? I mean, did Chevy have to sign somebody else? Um, I believe. I mean, or was that just ownership wanting to get rid of the money? I think it had to do with Stasny because we'd just gotten Stasny at the end of the year, and he had liked Winnipeg and was pretty. We we're pretty optimistic about him resigning, but we were kind of tied at the cap, if I remember. And so it was kind of a preemptive money move out, possibly with the expectation Stasny was going to resign. Um, and then he, you know, went to Vegas. Yeah, for sure. I think they ended up pretty tight to the cap anyway, if I remember right. correctly. Even getting rid of Mason. They had to sign, that was when they had to sign Kyle Connor and Patrick Lyonet as well. And Lyonet got the bridge and uh, Connor got the long term deal. But uh, yeah, not necessarily one that turned out great for the Jets. So Simon, what do you have for number seven? So for uh, number seven, I've got Ole Jokinen. Um, it was a signing when it happened. I was pretty excited about um, you know watching Jokinen in the Southeastern Division with the Panthers and stuff for a while, and you know kind of I liked his play um, before the Jets. Uh, 
you know, I was kind of optimistic about what he'd bring to the team. Seemed like it could be a good second line center option. But once again, once he got on the ice, kind of regretted my optimism. Um, you know, he contributed <laughs> here and there, but I feel like there was more nights where I was just kind of grabbing my head going, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You fell into the Brian Burke, uh, fell in love with his size too, right? I didn't think about his size so much, but it definitely, you know, with this his, the, this franchise's history, we've had very few big effective centers ever play for us. Um, and Jokinen seemed like a good opportunity to uh, maybe change that a little bit. Right. Uh, I actually have Jokinen at seven as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the same reasons you have. And the overall impact wasn't too great. Negative uh, 0.5. Oh no, sorry. It was 0.5 wins above replacement. Not, not a negative there, but you want more than that. I think from your second line center just didn't really give the jets what they needed, you know, in those two years to make a playoff push that they were hoping for. I think we signed them for like what? 5 million a year or something. I was 4.5. Yeah. 4.5 million uh, times two years. What years was that? 2012, that 2012-13 season and the 13-14 season. Right. So the two years uh, before we made a we made the playoffs for the first time as the Winnipeg Jets. Right. So that was number seven. What do you have for number six, Simon? So I've got um, Mr. Underwear, Ron Hainsey. Oh. Um, you know, and uh, overall he wasn't a bad player. Um, you know, he, he was all right, you know, out of the, everybody I've listed so far, I feel like he probably had the biggest contributions to the play and the ice, but he was just paid too much. Um, the contract that we signed him to in Atlanta was kind of a desperation move, you know, with the, the lawsuit between the Atlanta ownership had kind of settled and the pocketbook strings opened up a little bit. And we, that point never really had, uh, a primo free agent defenseman sign in Atlanta. Right. Um, believe that year, what was it? Uh, we're going after Brian Campbell, right? Yeah, Atlanta was supposedly down to the last two teams. Um, that would have been a get. Between, yeah, the, the, at least the skinny down here was that it was between us and Chicago for Brian Campbell, which probably really wasn't ever. I think Campbell's just using us to leverage his seven and a half million in Chicago. And so, Hainsey was our cheap second down here. So, um, which, yeah, so it was a mixed bag of whether we were happy or not to get him. So. Fair enough. At six, I had Chris Mason, two years, uh, 1.85 million, which at the time I think was quite a bit for a backup. And to put it straight, I don't think he performed particularly well at all. Uh, so... I don't really have more than that to say uh, about it. I got Chris Mason at number six. Actually, I forgot about Chris Mason. I left him off my list entirely. Um, that's how uh, that's how good he was. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. What do you have for number five? So number five, I've got Steve Mason. Um, you had him a little down lower, um, but, you know, that – like you're saying for the reasons before pretty much uh, my same thoughts, but you know, I weighted the uh, fact of what we had to give up to get rid of his contract um, a little more, yeah. um, you know, 
having to give Armia and a pick just to ship him out of here when he had one year left, you know, and I think we would have been okay with maybe a buyout, um, you know, that management was ever going to do that. But cap wise, I think we would have just squeaked by. But right. the fact that we had to give up um, a pretty decent middle six two way forward um, just to lose one year of a contract is a pretty steep price. Yeah, absolutely. And Ormeo was a fan favorite here, right, too. So uh, I think it kind of hurt some fans. To me, I thought we did have ample guys to replace him, so I didn't think it was a huge loss. But at the same time, uh, maybe we could have used him in that uh, 2019 run there uh, when we got beat by the Blues. On to... Number five for you. Right. My number five... Oh yes, uh, I have the uh, the Brian Little contract, the very recent one, um, six years, uh, five point two nine million. It what wasn't about. Was uh, that was signed in twenty seventeen, a year before the contract started. So it was right. an extension that was a year away for the twenty eighteen season, and it's not about the value that he brought in those two years it's about the fact that there was a very likely decline given his age there and they were still paying him like the second line center of the future and those are the type of contracts that you don't necessarily want to sign um i'm not arguing that he wasn't uh a good presence in the room or he, he was still good on the ice but i think there was certainly a better than 50% chance of a significant decline there. And ultimately, uh, unfortunately it ended up on LTIR because of that injury, um, which sucks. Little was still one of my favorite players, but you know, I didn't think it was necessarily a good contract. So could I jump in with quickly with my story for everybody? Oh yeah, by all means. So I, uh, we didn't know it at the time, but I I have on right now the last uh, game worn jersey that Brian Little ever wore. I got to go down the ice at the end of the season and have him sign it over to me. You know, he was actually my favorite thrasher at the time too, and it was just by chance that I lined up with him across the ice. And then when we made our pilgrimage to Winnipeg two years ago, we got to uh, go to a couple of practices, which was. I shouldn't say because you when you peggers who deserve to be able to do it don't get to go. That's a pretty tight ticket there. And uh, he um, we met, met him and I got to tell him the story, you know, show him the jersey. And he was just real gracious. And uh, he had uh, that was just uh, another part of what made our uh, trip to Winnipeg just the best vacation I've ever had. It was Winnipeg in January, if anybody can believe it, was my best vacation ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, as a Winnipegger, I definitely, I, I, I'm calling your bluff on that one. Yeah. Well, actually, we brought the, we brought so much um, good luck to Winnipeg for that uh, seven days we were there. The temperatures, so for you guys, it was probably in the, like, minus five, minus eight. Oh, yeah. Um, while the time we were there, but the day we left, it was, uh, so for us, it was minus 13 Fahrenheit, which is like 20 below. I don't know. It's like almost 20 minus 20 for you guys. So 
and the Jets and and uh, and uh, Moose won every game that we went to. We went to five games, so we were. And just, they beat uh, Nashville on our way home. Right, right. So we were just good luck all around for Winnipeg. Uh, oh well. Uh, once uh once it's safe to travel and everything again we'll uh, we'll have to have you guys up here oh we're we're definitely looking forward to it yeah, I, I doubt it will be next season but as as soon as it's possible hey yeah whenever right anyway, so anyway uh, but I, I i don't begrudge you uh judging that contract is bad even though he's he's my guy so. Oh yeah, he. I, I'm literally wearing a Brian yeah. Little jersey right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say. Um, I'll add real quick to the little contract. Yeah, I thought about putting it on my list, but ultimately I left it off. Um, it was definitely a year too early, and you know, probably five hundred thousand dollars too much. But if you think about kind of the going rate of that player at the time and the way the league's contracts were being signed, it was a little overpaid, but kind of fair even though ultimately for our organization, it was pretty bad. Um, we didn't need to spend the money, especially with uh, our young guys coming up. But uh, at the time, one thing I always kind of try to keep in perspective is that you look at uh, him and, uh, you know, his fan favorite, uh, Paul Stasny, is that at that point in their careers, um, their production was pretty much the same. Um, and Stasny was making a little more money. Now, since then, Stasny is definitely worth what he's being paid. Well, He's very effective for us now and little dropped off. But at the time, I think it gets a little more maligned than it was. But when you look at the full next set of years, yeah, it's definitely not good. Right. Um, what do you have for number four? See, number four, I've got Mark Stewart. Oh, Mark Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> What's his relationship? Is he married to somebody's daughter or Brian? And in, in True North. And oh, he, yeah. I I, uh, I don't know. I might uh, might have to do an investigation into that one. <laughs> I, Maybe thought there's a rumor. Some, I thought he had some uh, familial relationship to Chipman. I thought that that's. Oh, like actually? Yes, or, true. Or, no, I wasn't just making that up. Oh. <laughs> I, I wasn't just. No, I, I know. I know what you mean. I, I really. I don't know if uh, it was Chipman, but I remember some rumor about him marrying somebody in the True North organization. Right. But I, I would know nothing about that. Yeah. But, Honestly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think it was, might might have been just a rumor, but uh, you know, maybe there was something there. But you know, Stewart was. Uh, God, he like many of these defensemen on this list, too many minutes, too much ice time, no effectiveness, really. Um, you know, having him anchored with Truba for year after year after year, uh, just, you know, Truba turned out all right for us, but, you know, what his development curve could have been like if maybe he didn't have, uh, you know, a boat anchor tied to him, you know, every year. <laughs> Hey, it happens. Uh, Truba, Truba did what he could on that pairing. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement with you there. It's uh, not a good deal. Um, and uh, yeah, basically 
not good. Anyway, <laughs> um, for number four, I have uh, I have Blake Wheeler signed in 2018 for the 2019 season. Um, much for the same reasons I had the Brian Little one there. It's not because he wasn't effective at the time. Um, he still was fairly effective at five on five, still a lead on the power play, is still very, very good on the power play. Um, but you can see he's kind of struggling a little bit at five on five um, right now. And last year it was, his five on five play was okay, but definitely not that of an $8.2 million player. And that contract does worry me a bit going forward um, in terms of what that could look like. So just based on the potential, I have it at number four. I'm uh, surprised that you have it. You, it's not one of your top two. <laughs> no. Anyway, we'll see. No, I mean, it, it could end up up there depending on what happens. Like, I love, I, I get why the Jets signed the contract. Maybe that's why I didn't have it that high. Because at the time, um you know, you're looking like a contending team for the next couple of years. You, you didn't think Dustin Bufflin was going to leave the way he did. Um, right. You know, you're thinking you're going to contend and maybe you don't want the distraction of the contract coming up during the, uh, the 2018 season there. So I get why they signed it. You want to lock up your captain. He's producing at a high clip at that point. Um, but Ultimately, that could look bad going forward. Um, well, have factor. Yeah, that is just really the crux of that, right? That's exactly it. Uh, what do you have for number three, Simon? Number three, I have Zach Bogosian. Um, I thought about putting him a slot or two higher, but I think ultimately that we were able to trade him off uh, when we did. Um, puts him in at number three for me, but that contract of seven or eight years, five million was just brutal um, for a guy who at that point probably didn't deserve that much money or definitely not that kind of term from what he had shown. Um, mm -hmm. He, you know, was a, was a high pick um, at the time. We didn't have much in the way of defense, but it's still, he, he needed to show more to be deserving of the contract he got. And if we hadn't been able to trade it off, I'm wondering where we would have been with some of our other players in terms of being able to re-sign them. Because I don't know. I mean, you can trade any contract as it's been shown. But yeah. what other assets, you know, if you have to give up Joel Armia to get rid of one year of uh, Mason, you know, do we have to give up a first round pick now? Um, or, you know, Andrew Kopp to get rid of the Zach Bogosian? At least you didn't. Oh, but yeah. It's part of Chevy's magic in my mind. That that trade with Buffalo was was yeah. cla classic Chevy at the top of his game, I think. Right, right. Uh, yeah, seven years, uh, 5.14 was uh, the Bogosian deal. Um, you know, just quickly, the Thrashers missed out on Drew Doughty by one pick. Bogosian was out yeah. right and after we, Drew Doughty. Well, one pick right after Zach Bogosian, Alex Petrangelo. Right, yeah. <laughs> one or two picks. Right, exactly. So, yeah, Waddell's strength was not uh, amateur 
scouting. Right, um, which seems to be a bit of a strength of the Jets. Oh, exactly. Um, Amazing strength. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so uh, for my number three, I had... Where the heck did it go? <laughs> oh, yes, Drew Stafford. Uh, two years, 4.35 mil. I think you had that one earlier, Simon. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, just that's the difference of maybe how I see the game versus how, uh, how the Jets management and coaches saw the game. Um, the guy could score, um, but overall was a hindrance on possession and defensively and all that. Uh, and quite frankly, there may have been some better options out there. So I have Drew Stafford at number three. Um, yeah. What do you got at number two? Number two, I've got Andre Pavlik. Um, I think in a lot of ways, um, at least for the Winnipeg part of the franchise history, this contract may have set the team back more than anything else, not because of the money, but because of the play and there were year after year, there was better free agent goaltender options, but the team chose to stick by Pavlik, who was never consistent. He would have a brilliant 40 or 50 save game, and then he would be, you know, sub 900 for the next 10, um, save percentage wise. And just, I mean, you know, I think maybe the players liked him, but I'm not sure how much they could rely on him to bail, you know, bail them out with the uh, defensive deficits that we have or on nights where the scoring wasn't there. Um, and it was what, I think four or five years. Um, in yeah. Winnipeg, he was our starter. Uh, five years, 3.9 million. Uh, and I don't think he was the starter the last year. Cause he got waived and then sent to the moose. Right. I remember correctly. And I think he New York picked up. him up. No, uh, he came up for a brief stint uh, I think there may have been some injuries with either Hutchinson or Hellebuck. I, I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I actually completely forgot about him putting him on my list, <laughs> but uh, that's the way she goes yeah. sometimes. The, the number of years that, you know, what we said, it's like, if we just got consistent golden, you know, just replacement level goaltending, we'd make the playoffs. I feel like we said that every year until he was gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're seeing right now what goaltending can do for your team. It's a hell of a drug. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had Zach Bogosian at number two. Uh, yeah, basically all the same reasons Simon had um, didn't didn't play like a top pairing defenseman got paid like a top pairing defenseman. Quite frankly, the results were not particularly good at all for the entire time here. Uh, totaled actually zero wins above replacement uh, right on the nose in his oh. as a Winnipeg jet. It wasn't negative. It wasn't negative. No, he was that's, basically a replacement level player. That's kind of shocking. Yeah, being paid like a uh, a top pairing defenseman, which I guess five million—that's what five million would have been at the time. 
Well, they don't count uh, uh, how often you ice the puck in wins above replacement, do they? Uh, that would have been, that would be built in just kind of as oh, okay. a overall. I was, I was kind of a joke, but uh... Ice, icing the puck will be obviously a detriment to your team. So right. at the end, it's kind of that kind of fits its way in there. Um, Zach and Hainsey were our icing team. Right. The Hainsey specialty. The Hainsey specialty. Yeah. Um, and Simon, your worst contract in Thrashers slash Jets history. My worst contract in Thrashers Jets history, um, which we actually have a jersey of, you can see in the background with the ones hanging up in the closet, Bobby Holik. Um, not just that he was overpaid by an extreme margin, coming off another contract from New York, which they bought him out from, which he was overpaid even more, um, not even for the fact that he was uh, produced nothing, was okay defensively in the faceoffs, but still nowhere near the money. But because ultimately at the time, the team was extremely budget conscious and uh, signing that contract the year earlier, ultimately stop them from signing Mark Savard. Um, and that's a whole nother story of whether Savard had been with this team and moved to Winnipeg for you guys. He, he may have Savard. If we had signed Savard thrashers may not have even moved to Winnipeg. If it may have given us more support. So, well, in that case, I'm all for the whole league contract. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, for the, for y'all Jets fans, you know, us, it's probably the, uh, the best contract um, in franchise history. Right. Um, but you know, the, the difference between Savard's contract with Boston um, was and Holik was about $750,000. Um, and there's no way the organization was going to sign two centers to four plus million dollar deals. Um, and, you know, and at the time, Savard wanted to stay in Atlanta, and he only wanted four and a half. Um, and Waddell said, no, um, if you can get that or better, you know, you have my blessing, go find it. Um, and he didn't expect him to. And then Boston goes, hey, you want more money than you wanted to sign for? And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Savard was a was a great player for sure. Um, he was a, that was a perfect example. Sorry to get off on a tangent, but of of Waddell's the contrast between his his disability with the amateurs and his his strong ability with professional scouting. You know, he picked up Savard for a song from Calgary, and right. he did that several times with uh, this with the Thrashers. So. Kozlov is another example of that, of picking up a good four, top six forward for nothing. Kozlov, our other favorite thrasher. Right. Um, yeah, so my worst contract, Mark Stewart. Uh, uh. <laughs> he, uh, you know, at the time was, uh, by the numbers and by my eye test anyway, uh, a less than replacement level defenseman. Um, and you know, you can find replacement level or just over replacement level guys, usually kind of in the 1 million range, most years in free agency. Um, instead they decided to go with the familiarity and the grit and frankly did not work out for them. I think they bought out that contract with, was it a year left? Did they buy him out or just 
Mm, yeah, I think they did. They yeah, with one year. Yeah. yeah. Which maybe one of the more shocking things that uh, Chevy's ever ever done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, that was the same year that they uh, got rid of Pavlik too. It's like Pavlik was gone and Stewart was gone in the same off season, and it's you know it's kind of like thought we're dreaming. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, not to talk too hard about him, but uh, can't fault Stewart for signing the contract. But that's uh, probably not one the Jets wanted to do there. Uh, maybe could have looked elsewhere with that money. All right. So we're done with uh, our lists of the worst contracts in Thrasher slash Jets history. Um, now we're going to look at some of the best. Um, who do you have at number 10, Simon? So at number 10, I have one that's maybe a little strange. Um, I've got Kyle Wellwood. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's maybe... You know, it was a little odd. You didn't, well, didn't necessarily do that much, um, but when he for the first two years he was here and the first two years of the franchise history in Winnipeg, he was fairly effective. Um, he outperformed guys like Bruce Stafford and Nick Antropov. Um, you know, he didn't play that many games. Like I think it was like 116 games and had like 63 points or so. Um, you know, more than half a point per game for a guy that was only getting 14 minutes a night. Um, and I think in his first year of his contract, um, for cost per point, he was like fifth best in the entire NHL. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's one I did not even think about, to be honest with you. And, uh, I don't think a lot of people necessarily would have, but Kyle Wellwood, uh, certainly he brought some good stuff to the team, uh, in his short time here. Um, I am for number 10, I have... Brian Little in 2013, five years, 4.7 million. Um, yeah, he was a real good second line center for us for a lot of years. And obviously seeing that I've got his jersey, one of my favorite <laughs> players uh, in that time, he was, this is actually the, uh, the first Jets jersey, uh, first official Jets jersey that I ever got. So uh yeah, Brian Little at number 10 was my pick. Uh, what do you have at number nine? Or do you want to chime in with anything, Scott? No, just no, nothing to add. It's, like, uh, it's, it's interesting to me how we, on this list, though they've got the same players at different times in their career as the best and the worst contracts, <laughs> which uh, is, is probably a symptom that most teams have. Right. You know, I, I would think, you know, for, for a lot of the same reasons. So I hope none of our listeners listen to, uh, listen to me, put Brian little on the worst contracts and say blasphemy and <laughs> don't listen to the rest of it. This right. guy hates Brian little. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think you qualified each time enough to, for people to understand. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, what do you have at number nine, Simon? So nine, I have one going back to the Thrashers. I have Nicholas Havlid, okay, um, which is a name that many Jets fans may not be familiar with, but for a long time he was the best defenseman in the franchise's history. Um, he signed two point seven million dollar contract for three years, which I think if you uh, prorate it to like the cap nowadays, it would be like four point nine. 
Um, and he was a solid defenseman on any team. He would have been a, you know, a top four defenseman. Um, for us, he was playing 23, 25 minutes a night um, and was competent. Um, also, he was uh, a mentor to Enstrom. Um, and Enstrom picked up a lot of things from Havlid. So for uh, Enstrom's development, Havlid was really critical, being another Swede um, and then being partnered together. And for a while, even though them both being left shot, if I remember correctly, um they were partnered together and was just the best pairing that we had without a question right uh what years uh was he in atlanta oh i think um we got him in a trade from anaheim he played a little bit then we re-signed him i think he was from like 0506 through 0809 i think right um, he played three years, then went to New Jersey for a year, and then I think retired. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, he, uh, his influence on Enstrom might uh, be the most important part of all that. Yeah. Right. Not, not sure. that Toby needed a mentor necessarily. He's such a smart player. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We traded for him in 0506 from Anaheim, um, and then he played one year. Then we resigned him to a three-year deal um, and played uh, through the 0809 season. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, for number nine, I have uh, Andrew Ladd, uh, 2011. Um, just trying to find the number. I think it was five it was years. About four- five. Five years, 4.4 million for Andrew Ladd. Uh, right in that summer where uh, the Thrashers were transitioning over to uh, Winnipeg. So, yeah, obviously our captain for for five years. Uh, really nice, possibly underrated player. Uh, drove a lot of offense. Uh, maybe more value than his point totals would have shown. Um, just a great leader on and off the ice. Uh, so yeah, that's my number nine, Andrew Ladd. Uh, so, what do you got for num- Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I, I have Ladd at number eight. Um, okay. So, you know, the similar things that you said there, you know, he brought a lot of, uh, I think, uh, intangibles, that especially at the time that, um, Stats may have had a hard time tracking, um, but he was a very effective player for what he brought and where we were in terms of our forward depth at the time. Yeah, he was incredibly effective um, for the minutes. I think he played, you know, with Little and Wheeler on, I think, you know, they played as a line for like four or five years. Um, You know, kind of memories I have of that line was a, you know, good scoring, but also, um, hate to use the term because it's so ambiguous but just you know the line had grit um to it (laughs) as well um then the interesting thing about lad is he was the first um captain in thrashers jets history to serve more than two years and not be traded or retire interesting well i guess he was traded eventually but not be traded after two years (laughs) okay gotcha yeah Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Ladd, obviously a fan favorite in Winnipeg for, uh, for quite some time. Um, 
number eight, I have Toby Enstrom in 2008, uh, signed for the 2009 season. I think it was, uh, yeah, a little, he was signed to an extension, uh, well before that, uh, that next season, uh, four years, 3.75 million. Um, at the time, I think he was a bit more of an offensive, uh, defenseman than a, than a defensive guy, not, not that he was bad defensively at the time, because he, he really was good defensively as well. Uh, obviously, great puck mover all the time. Um, and for the duration of that contract anyway, uh, generated a lot of offense before he kind of transitioned into a defensive guy uh, near the end of his career. So uh, four years, 3.75 million Toby Enstrom at number eight for me. Uh, who do you got at number seven? So number seven, going back to the Thrashers, again, a little strange maybe, but I've got uh, Rich Peverly. Okay. Um, so we got him as a waiver wire pickup initially from uh, Nashville. Um, the only reason we picked him up is because the coach we had at the time had played, who was uh, John Anderson, um, who had been the Chicago Wolves coach, the AHL affiliate, had played against him in the Calder Cup um, the year prior or maybe the year before and had seen how good he was. Um, and we picked him up and he immediately fit in with the team. He got a lot of opportunities straight away, but playing with Kovalchuk. and Senator to Kovalchuk right. line, I think. But um, even as a younger guy, he had a very much Paul Stasny kind of effect um, and just kind of stabilized everything. Um, and then the next year, you know, we signed into a very reasonable deal for a guy who had almost a point per game uh, when we brought him in. Uh, what was it? It was uh, two years at 1.3 per. But the reason I have him on this list at all is because that contract is what facilitated getting Blake Wheeler. Um, right. And without Rich Peverly, that trade probably never happens. Um, and who knows how the current franchise history changes. Um, oh, yeah, Boston, absolutely. Austin was desperate for a good middle six top six center um they needed him cheaply and they weren't going to be able to re-sign wheeler um since he was going to call demand for too much money um i think he was looking for more opportunity than he was getting in boston um and peverly being so cheap and being clearly effective in his role uh allowed probably one of the most important trades in franchise history to happen yeah so that was uh Rich Peverly and Boris Volobic for Mark Stewart and Blake Wheeler. So I think that ended up being a really good trade for the Jets. Yeah, I would say, like I said, <laughs> uh, Don Waddell, when it came to uh, professional scouting, was his strength. You know, Rich Peverly is one of the few ECHL players, too, to make it in the NHL. He was, he, he, he uh, played more than one season, I think, in the ECHL. So, not too many folks uh, graduate that far. Right. Absolutely. Um, at number seven, I have Dustin Bufflin in 2016, five years, 7.6 million. Um, at the time, I think there were a lot of people that maybe, uh, maybe, we're a little iffy on the signing just because of uh, the guy's age. Um, obviously without Dustin Bufflin, they don't make that run 
to the Western Conference Finals in 2018. Uh, he if he wasn't their most important player, he was certainly their second most important. He just controlled absolutely everything. Um, I may be biased by saying this, but I certainly think he was a top five defenseman in the league that season. And yeah, possibly, my, possibly my favorite jet of all time. So yeah, Dustin Bufflin, um, he gets my nod at, uh, I think that was number seven. Uh, what do you have for number six? So for number six, I've got uh, Kyle Connor. Um, and this is one that I, I kind of hemmed and hawed about where to place him and put him on the list because I, I rag on him a lot. Um, and his overall on ice impact is, you know, with what he produces and what, the other team produces while he's on the ice is often even or negative, but, um, and he often needs to be carried by their line mates, um, and can disappear if he's not. But at the end of the day, $7 million for a 40 goal score, um, is, you know, something that's a good deal. Um, even given the other negative on ice impacts, um, and even this year in the, the shortened season, he's, you know, once again, on pace for another 40 goal season prorated over 82. Um, and, you know, you look at a cost per point. Um, he's one of the better values in the league for if you look at all the 30 and 40 goal scores, you're paying less per goal than, uh, you know, most other guys, except for maybe David Pasternak, um, who's maybe the best contract in the league. And yeah. when you look at somebody like Buffalo paying Skinner $9 million, you know, we just... <laughs> Well, uh, uh, Kyle Connor, you know, despite market value wise, that's a really good contract for sure. Yeah. Um, like you talk about the even to negative uh, overall impact, but you think maybe that if you put him with a couple guys that can really drive play, um, if you can find the right fit for him, that maybe that impact can uh, can grow a lot. Has he taken a shift with Appleton this year? Um, yeah, I think I want to say way earlier on, maybe, maybe in, uh, I think for a period they moved Appleton up onto, uh, onto his line. I can't remember who was center. Was it Dubois first game? It was like Connor Dubois Appleton. Maybe I may have been. It, it might have been at the top. Like they didn't start that way. I don't think, but that right. may have been what it transitioned into. Yeah. The way Shifley's come back this year to actually back check and just play 200 foot game. He Shifley, Connor and Appleton would be a, I think an effective way and uh, put Blake at five on five back where he really needs to be. So. Yeah. Hey, um, don't necessarily disagree with you there. Um, but I, I will say I do like Blake on that line with, uh, with Stastny and Shifley right now. I'm, I'm uh, intrigued to see uh, what kind of happens there. Anyway, um, at six, I have Nikolai Ehlers in 2017 uh, signed for the 2018 season. I could have put him a bit higher possibly, yeah, but 
I had some nuggets I wanted to put higher in there. So I, uh, I had to leave Ehlers a bit low. Um, as of right now, he's my favorite current jet. Uh, there's nobody more exciting on the ice than him. And again, Homer bias. I think he's the most underrated player in the league. Um, right now, I think, I think he can get, he's going to even be better. I mean, when he reigns in his game a little bit, he, he still thinks he's Superman every once in a while or sometimes a little little too often. And, uh, so I, I really think as he matures, he's going to be even better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, he might be the best, the best skater, like the best forward on the jets right now. He might not be, but he's certainly in that conversation. So, uh, yeah, I have him at number six. Uh, who do you have for number five, Simon? So I had your number six at my number five with Nikolai Ehlers. Um, you know, you can kind of take your pick on which contract uh, you want to say is the is the good one because even his current contract at the $6 million a year, as the cap keeps increasing, it's going to be looking better and better value. Um, even if his production doesn't increase a whole lot, um, $6 million for uh, play driving top six forward that can zone entry like uh, any un- unlike anybody else's, you know, worth the price of admission. Um, you know, and I think he will get continue to get better. Um, I think he's been given more opportunity this year and he might be uh, being a little hard on himself about that. Um, and there's some nights where he's definitely been looking more off than usual. And I think he's just trying too hard, um, maybe trying to impress the coaching staff, um, showing that, you know, he can do it now that he's been given the opportunity to do it, that he hasn't been as much in past seasons. Right. Um, so for number five, that was, that was number five, right? Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yes. So for my number five, I had Matthew Perot uh, in 2014, three years, three million out of free agency. Um, also one of my favorite players. Um, and also I think one of the most underrated players in the league, especially over that time. Uh, I don't personally think there's much of a chance we make the playoffs without Matthew Perot in 2015 there. Uh, He just brought so much to the team in terms of play driving Uh, him with Shifley just absolutely dominant. And I think at the time, a big portion of that was the play of Matthew Perot just so smart. uh, So tenacious, uh, a lot more skill, I think, than people give him credit for. Um, yeah, that's my number five. I don't know. I don't know if at the time you could have found a better $3 million player than Matthew Perot. Yeah, um, definitely a better acquisition than uh, Froelich. You know, they were similar looking at, at similar players, but uh, he ended up, I think, being a better choice. I definitely yeah. didn't mind. Uh, I didn't mind Froelich. I thought he. Uh, I thought he was a pretty good player for us. But right, um, right, right. The next contract he signed was kind of brutal. Um, it's I think Perot being on the team for three hundred thousand dollars less, and I guess 
for that first year that they both played on the team, Fro outproduced Froley um, that we played 20 less games. Um, and I think it made it much more easy for Chevy to walk away from the Froelich contract when Froelich was wanting four or five million dollars. Right. Would you say that uh, maybe it would have been a better option to sign Froelich than a guy like Stafford, though? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. It depends. It depends yeah, on the years. Uh, no question. No depends <laughs> on the years because Froelich dropped off pretty hard in Calgary. You know, he probably was still effective in a defensive role, but right. the uh, the play driving and the points, you know, seemed to fall off hard. Um, but if, if the years were low, yeah, I would have much rather had um, for a than Stafford. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So who do you have at number four? Let's see. Number four, I've got Dustin Bufflin. Oh yeah. Um, big buff. It was, it was interesting. You know, when we traded for him in Atlanta, that was uh, Rick Dudley, you know, being the one of the assistant GMs in Chicago, um, you know, doing a lot to build that, cup run um knowing the guys that you know were worth stealing from them that could be got at good value um and his, his first years was interesting because we moved you know when we traded for him everybody was like oh yeah we have this great power forward you know <laughs> gonna really round out our top six and then it's like uh he's actually been playing defense um <laughs> everybody kind of threw up their hands and it's like well the thrashers, you know, nothing ever makes sense, you know, so we'll just deal with it, you know, and our defense sucks anyway. So how bad could it be? Um, and it turned out to be pretty good. Um, definitely his early years on playing defense, you know, great play driving, great possession numbers, but the defensive game took a little time to come along, but that contract in Winnipeg was just great value. Um, at the time, you know, when he first signed it, you might say it was more kind of fair value, but as he continued to grow as a defenseman, it just was what he brought to the ice was insane. Um, you know, there's very few players that I can remember watching play that could control a game like he could. Um, they're just, you know, he, if he really wanted to, you know, just take that puck end to end and he could do it all night. Um, you know, you'd say what he wanted about his effort level on other nights, but when he decided to turn it on 110%, no one could touch him. Absolutely. How close, Brian, was it uh, that the Jets were had a choice between signing Ladd and Bufflin, and they couldn't have signed both of them? Was that? Well, I think I think they were focusing on Ladd first, and That's what I uh, rumor had it that they offered Ladd somewhere in the ballpark of six million, and Ladd turned it down. And then I think after that, they sort of decided to focus their attention on Buff and so that where that that, took them. Yeah, that was a Chevy brain fart for sure. (laughs) Yeah, Um, for sure. Uh, We all loved Dustin Bufflin. Uh, I'm sure you guys did in Atlanta for, I think it was just the one one year when he was there. Just the one year. Yeah, so we got uh, Ladd and Bufflin in separate trades that after the 2010 uh, Cup run for Chicago, and so we, uh, well, we got Ladd later in the off season, I think for a second round pick and defenseman like Ivan this time something who we got in the Kari Letnin trade to Dallas um, earlier. 
Yeah, so that those again, those moves by Waddell would getting Bufflin and Ladd from Chicago. That, that, that was Dudley, not Waddell. Oh, Waddell Dudley had finally been uh, kicked upstairs. Um, oh, right. He was still with the organization, but. Right. Gotcha. Anyway. Uh, number four, um, this is completely a, a numbers one because I, he never played with the Jets. Um, Ilya Kovalchuk in 2005, uh, five years, 6.4 mil, which era adjusted now, I think you're more looking at more in the ballpark of 10 mil. Um, but, uh, I only have the, the last three seasons, uh, of wins above replacement on that contract. Uh, they didn't track, uh, shots the way they did now back before 2007, but in the last three years of the contract, 6.4, wins above replacement which is pretty darn strong uh on a per year basis uh i i think he just provided a lot of value to that team obviously one heck of a goal scorer um you know i wasn't huge into the hockey back then but i certainly knew who kovalchuk was uh so I got him at number four, just purely on a numbers basis. He was the guy. He was the guy that kept fans coming to the building in Atlanta for a lot of years, right? Uh, when there was really no hope. So, um, yeah, yeah we, absolutely. And you know, I was just looking. He is like, what was it, Simon? Uh, in the top twenty all time in. Uh, goals per game yeah i mean he had 400 goals in like what 700 games or something 450 and that's with those last couple of crappy seasons uh in la you know when he tried to make a comeback added in there so um, we talk we talk about you know with line a and how you know every time the puck was on his stick uh you know something could happen a goal could be scored you know, you take that and factor it up a few times, and that's Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, oh, yeah. You also factor up his uh, poor defensive play um, some, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kovalchuk was special. Um, you know, for his time in the league, uh, I think, you know, it was maybe Ovechkin was the only other uh, player to score more goals. Um, and, you know, if he had played his whole career in the NHL, you know, I think we're probably talking Hall of Fame. Um, you know, he was – possibly could have uh you know had probably eight plus 40 goal seasons um and just every time the puck was on his stick the it, it could go in um the release was just you blink and you miss it you know it probably one of the best snapshots ever um but he was you know defensively even which is kind of interesting you brought up the wins above replacement that even with his defensive deficiencies and pretty much never back checking ever um, that he still could bring that kind of value, um, which just speaks to the special kind of player he was. Right. Absolutely. Um, we'll go to you at number three. Who do you got? Got uh, Connor Hellebuck. Um, nice. Yeah, we're talking about wins above replacements with Kovalchuk. Hellebuck <laughs> is uh, something even more special. Uh, um or I can tell you 10.6 since the start of that contract. Wow. Jesus. That's, that's amazing. Um, 
you know, like I said earlier, uh, goaltending is a hell of a drug. Um, and, you know, Hellebuck is without a doubt the best cold turn in franchise history. Um, and or at least I'll speak to the 2.0 history. Um, I don't know my 1.0 right, history right. so well. Um, and he, you know, I remember right after we signed it and then he had the one down year, everybody's going, oh, Chevy, what'd you do? Um, you know, this is an awful contract, you know, and I, I wasn't buying that at that point. You know, goalies are voodoo. They go up and down a little bit. But uh, Hellebuck's one that I had pinned for a long time, um, you know, back to him playing in college. Um, you know, I had a pretty good feeling that he could be something. Um, and this contract, I think, has really proven it. Um, be interesting to see how he continues to play. Um, you know, he's uh, maybe not quite to last year's level, but he's still playing well, even with maybe a few more softies than, uh, you know, your prior. But the value he brings to this team, you know, is probably – only matched by Bufflin in terms of players um, and how they've impacted the on ice product. Yeah, for sure. I had Hellebuck at three as well. Um, the only reason I didn't put him higher is because he's a goalie and yeah. goalie contracts. All well, the goalies in general are relatively unpredictable, but um, you've seen consistency from Hellebuck. Like you just generally don't see with goaltenders and that's really cool. Um so yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's our best player right now. I think, um, yeah, I don't really have much else to add on that. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he's a little bit crazy too. So that makes it fun. Oh yeah. He's, uh, he's an interesting dude. That's for sure. Um, but you're speaking to his consistency. I mean, it really just goes through his whole career. Um, you know, I think he described his playing style once as big and boring and, you know, it's big. I think it's maybe a little more exciting than he thinks it is at times, but, um, you know, going back to college with him, but whatever Boston, it wasn't a major Boston university, but, uh, he took a team to the frozen four that had no business being there. Um, I think nobody on that team had more than 20 points, um, out of an entire roster, which was just kind of crazy that a team with no firepower, went as far as it did in the collegiate tournaments that never, I don't think has done anything before or since. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what a player for us. What a find Connor Hellebuck. Um, who do you have at number two? So number two, I've got Blake Wheeler. Um, not the current contract, obviously, but the one before that, uh, I think it was what, six years, um, five or six years. Uh, uh, yes, six years, uh, 5.6 million, which I mean, you know, I think looking back on it, we still as special as a player Wheeler was in those years. I still think we probably underrate how good he was. Um, you know, we talk about now about who's the most underrated forward in the league. I think those years Wheeler was a very strong contention for being that forward, you know, I think years he definitely deserved a uh, conversation for, you know, Hart Trophy or maybe even, I don't know if that's Selkie or not, but he did a lot more two-way play than he does now. His five-on-five -five play was impeccable. Um, yeah. You know, not even just the points, but just his all-around game was just amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think analytics community was like 
he might be a top five winger in the NHL. And people kind of scoffed at that a little bit, but I really think it might've been true that he was a top five winger in the NHL for, for some stretch there. Um, so Blake Wheeler at number two, I also have Blake Wheeler at number two, uh, much for the same reasons. Uh, just, absolutely a great player maybe the best player in jets history overall yeah yeah that's what i meant uh i can't really speak too much to jets 1.0 but uh yeah what a what a player he was uh he was really fun to watch too with his speedy net drives uh just the power to his game always been a great passer um yeah what a player that power play makes it makes it easy for me him being what i think is a great human being also absolutely uh a great uh, leader a great leader for this city for sure a lot of people don't like mixing politics and sports but i i applaud him for standing up oh absolutely thinks is right so Absolutely. I think, uh, I think there's a huge importance to that, uh, that element of it. And yeah, really, I, I wouldn't want anybody else, uh, given the character to, to be the captain of the jets. Yeah. It's Uh, with Wheeler. Um, it's, you know, interesting. He played for Atlanta, but we only got him for about 20 games. Um, if even that, you know, so in a lot of ways, I really feel like he is, you know, hundred percent a jet, even though he played for the thrashers, um, you know, got guys like Bufflin and Toby and little who, you know, careers were kind of split, but Wheeler is really in a lot of ways, I think one of the first true jets um, to play. He's, I think he's played close to 700 games now mm-hmm. for the franchise. Um, and I think that's just kind of continues to speak at what kind of special player he is. Absolutely. Um, so we have, no- sorry, go ahead. It's easy to guess what who what you two guys have as number right. one contract, right? Well, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say it's uh, it's got to be pretty obvious at yeah. this point. And say, um, do you want a uh, one Patrick honorable... Line? Eight. No, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say, I've got an honorable mention um, for one other thrasher before we go to number one, if you want. Yeah, by all means. So as uh, uh, Max Afenigenov. Um, Okay. Signed a one-year league minimum deal and had 60 points. Um, was a guy, you know, was another kind of special player. He's a little inconsistent, had a lot of injury bugs. But in terms of uh, a one-year impact from a league minimum deal, you don't get much better than that. Um, 25 goals, 61 points. He actually played, I think, the full season for like the only time ever. Um, and, you know, he brought an electricity to the team that was kind of missing. I think he took about 10 or 12 games to score a goal and then scored his first one doing the way he does with pulling the puck between 20 different players and <laughs> um, against the Sabres, his old team. Um, and it was just an entire year of him scoring crazy goals that maybe shouldn't work um, for <laughs> an amount of money. That was just an absolute steal. Yeah. I think that goal is actually one of, when I've watched the NHL networks top 50 goals of all time, that's like a top 10 goal not i don't know if it was the buffalo goal there was one he scored against tampa that's really well known anyway but he was just a really fun guy to have on your team to have on the ice i mean 
he could he could just really electrify the building when he wanted to. Anyway, uh, we I don't think we need to add any suspense to this. Uh, your best contract in Jets 2.0 history is Mark Shifley. <laughs> Easily I, put. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get a first line center for $6 million. Uh, there's not much else to say, you know, he, he, you know, when he's on, he's on. And even when he's not on, he's still on. Um, it's, it's, yeah, he, he's, you know, that when, when he was picked, it was a little bit of a head scratcher, but uh, we quickly learned after he started uh, playing some games that uh, it's a pretty good pick. Absolutely. Um, Again, so. Chevy's ability to, uh, to amateur scouting ability just started from the right from the get go from the, yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, yeah, so uh, I obviously have Mark Shifley as my top contract as well. Um, I think he's provided probably the most offensive value um, compared to any other Jet uh, in his time here. And uh, Do you have a war for him? Yes. Um. 11 so just in the contract just since the contract he signed so this i think is his fifth year of the deal uh since then 11 wins above replacement to compare that with wheeler in his uh best years during his six-year contract wheeler at 11.5 that's in six years wow so shifley would be on pace to to break that what are the best wars in the league, uh, just for comparison? Like, you're, like per year, you're usually going to have somebody. You're usually going to have a forward around five, give or take, and that's usually the best in a year. And usually, they what? won't keep up that pace. So, what was Panarin was something ridiculous last year, right? Like a seven or nine or. No, um, it, I think it was four point something, and that okay. would have led the league, but or led the league among forwards. But let me just check. So when you were saying, see, uh, just for clarification, so Wheeler and uh, Shifley, the Elevens, that's an accumulated war for the contract. Yes, that's okay. uh, that's that's how I calculated it. I uh, for each player actually that I put on my lists, um, right. at maybe's, um, I put their, I put their war beside, beside the contract for the total of the contract, just so I kind of had a reference point, right. Um, for whoever I could, cause they didn't have, or they don't have that stat tracked to before 2007. Um, right. Panarin was 4.4. Wow. Placement last season alone anyway um i think we'll wrap it up here um it's been great having you guys on um maybe if we do another uh atlanta centric episode uh maybe we'll have you guys on again uh it could be pretty boring (laughs) it could be a yeah not a lot to talk about you know i have gotta say i've appreciated how much we've been uh welcomed 
by all you guys in Winnipeg. And I know there's uh, two sides to that coin and a lot of folks in Winnipeg just want to ignore the Thrashers part yeah. of uh, the history, which is fine with me. I understand it. It's not, I don't take offense to that at all. Um, but uh, you guys have just been nothing but uh, great to uh, interact with. And um, it's made it easy for us to continue our fandom for sure. Yeah, it's been great interacting with you guys as well. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, hope you hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, we'll be back with more later. Thanks for having us. Thanks. You betcha. I'm Kurt Kilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.